I received a message on LinkedIn on March the 4th, and it goes as follows. Hi, Mark. I found your podcast on Spotify a couple of weeks ago, and it's exactly what I needed. It's brilliant. I've been a corporate trainer for 11 years, and I want to make the switch and have my own training business exclusively in a particular industry. I'm doing preparation at the moment, building a prospect list, doing a business plan and organizing the structure, the identity and the offer, but I can't go much further and physically prospect without my employer finding out and me risking ruining a relationship with my employer and a potential client. It's frustrating me because I feel like I have to go either all in with zero salary and large risk, or I can't do anything at all. So I've hit a barrier. Well, no problem, A. You've asked me not to use your full name. Your first initial is A, so I'll call you A today. I'll be releasing a course on starting a training business later on this year. But for now, today, in episode 81, let's answer your question, which in essence is how to transition from being an employee to a self-employed trainer. This is episode 81 of the Training Business Podcast. And welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, and welcome to the show. My name is Mark Garrett Hayes, and I'm the host of this podcast, the Training Business Podcast. This is the show for freelance trainers for training business owners for people who are training consultants, sometimes you're coaches, sometimes you're both trainers and coaches. Irregardless of what your job title is, if you're someone who, just like I do, work in a business which I control, where I'm helping people to be the very best versions of themselves and perform at the highest levels that they can do, and I do so at a profit to me, well, I guess that makes you someone just like me, someone who is in a training business, runs a training business, and loves the training business. And the goal of this show, of today's episode, and every episode of the show, is to help you to start to grow and to scale a profitable training business. There is, of course, an episode every Thursday. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify, and of course, on a range of other podcast platforms out there, too numerous to mention. But you'll find episodes of the show knocking around somewhere on the interweb. But suffice to say that this episode is different because most of the time I will have either a guest on the show or it'll be just you and I where we take a particular topic such as having boundaries with clients or finding high paying clients or knowing when to walk away from particular kinds of clients or how to market yourself or develop a sales methodology, all kinds of topics which are quite useful to you and I in the training business. And occasionally we have a message from someone and that message becomes the subject of a podcast episode, which is exactly what's happening today. So we're going to take a message, which I read out to you before the music, and that's from someone who asked me not to use his full name, just to refer to him by his first initial, which is A. So we're talking about why, or rather how, to go from working, in this case, in A's case, as an employed 
trainer. He happens to be a sales and leadership trainer and wants to go and start his own training business, which of course is a fantastic idea. It's much to be admired. And I think there are three reasons why people like A want to go from being an employee to being self-employed. Number one, they want control of their own destiny. And you will never control your own destiny if you're shoveling coal in the engine room of someone else's ship. If you understand that analogy there, think about that for a moment. You will never control your own destiny if you're down in the engine room shoveling coal in someone else's ship. The second reason that people want to go from being an employee to self-employed is that they believe they can succeed. So you might have a feeling and perhaps a calling that this is the thing that's more than just a job. It's a it's a passion. It, in fact, it's a mission. It's something which is intrinsically linked with your self-worth, with your ambition, with your goals, your hopes, and your dreams. And that's okay. I recognize that completely. And if you don't actualize and take action when something so important to you lies so close to your heart, I think you're going to have regrets. And that's something which we'll talk about uh, later on in today's episode. The third reason why people go from being an employee to self-employed is that they know there is a gap. Now, I emphasize the word know, not think, not hope, not imagine, but they know. They've done research and are convinced that there is a business opportunity which they can satisfy profitably. So there's one thing, it's one thing to do what you love to do because you love to do it. It's a different matter to do what you love to do and do it for a living because you can make money doing it. Therefore, you can do it profitably. So three reasons why people go from being an employee to self-employed. One, they want control of their own destiny. That's fine. Two, they believe they can succeed. They have a feeling, perhaps a calling and a mission. And thirdly, they know there is a gap. They have taken steps to figure out the potential and the viability of something which can actually generate income. And we've had lots of people on the show to date who have done just that. They have started from scratch with an idea. They have attracted clients to them and generated income streams. I'm thinking of Pete Starr in episode two, who founded Chili Pepper, a training company based in the Midlands in England. Then in episode 46, David McDermott, who began with his wife, Tina, a very successful professional services training company based in Scotland called Edomitis. In episode 56, we interviewed Nick Smallman, who is the founder of Working Voices, a hugely successful communication skills company based in London with clients such as Deutsche Bank, the big German bank. In episode 57, we spoke with Grant Cardone, who is arguably the best-known sales trainer, multi-million dollar successful training business owner in the US, author of books such as 10X and Sell or Be Sold. In episode 59, we spoke with Philippe Reveron, who is the CEO of a very successful, originally French training company, now based in the States, called Learning Tribes, which he began with his wife. And most recently, in episode 71, we spoke with Jeb Blunt, who is one of my favorite sales books training authors or sales training book authors, author of books such as Inked and uh, Fanatical Prospecting, among others. And all of these people have loads of stories, but everyone's story is different. 
Everyone on this path has made mistakes, different mistakes, and everyone on this path has different lessons, things they would do and things they would not do. So on that topic, I came up with a list of things that I would not do. Let's look at those things first. Here are some don'ts to answer the question today. Number one, don't poach clients. Number two, don't burn bridges. Number three, don't procrastinate. Number four, don't have regrets. Number five, don't fool yourself. Number six, don't break rules. And number seven, don't jump off. So looking at those individually, first of all, don't poach clients. Now, I'm I'm pretty confident you're not that kind of person. You're a professional. You know better than to take clients. But I'm amazed how many people try and start a consultancy, a coaching business, a training business, thinking that they can get away with taking clients with them. I'm not saying that you've suggested that. You may not even think that. But many people try that and you won't you won't succeed. It's as simple as that because you're effectively damaging the relationship with two parties. You have taken effectively some form of contract. You have some kind of agreement with people. So the last thing you want to do when starting off is to ruin your beginning by taking bad steps. And one of the bad steps that m- many people take sometimes when they take a new role or start a business is try and take existing clients with them. Not a good, not a good idea. The second thing is don't burn bridges. The great thing about bridges is that they facilitate two-way traffic. If you think of an ordinary bridge, a bridge has traffic going one way and the other way. So as long as you don't burn your bridge, you can find your way back. And many people do. Many people try something for a while, find they don't like it, and they go back to into the corporate world. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's no face lost in changing your mind. But there is a lot of regret if you don't try something and wonder what it could have been if you had taken steps in that direction. So don't burn bridges. The third thing I would not do is don't procrastinate. So once you've made up your mind, if you've got some burning fire within you, A, and you're thinking of this and can't stop thinking about this, there's something there which can't be ignored. So it's a good idea to take the steps you're taking right now, which is about all about your business plan and organizing structure, identity, and the offer, all great stuff. But don't dilly-dally. At some point, you've got to stop planning and you've got to start doing. The third thing I would not do is don't have regrets. Most of us regret the things we didn't do more than the things we did do. So ask yourself, what would it be like in two years' time if I don't take action now? If I have to look back in two years' time and say to myself, what could have been, what might have been, what could I have done if I'd actually taken a decision, made a decision, and taken steps towards enacting that plan? The next thing I would not do is don't fool yourself. You've got to be honest about the price you're willing to pay to have the things you want. In other words, any business owner will tell you that when you run a business, it's not nine to five. I work in the evenings. I work on weekends. I can't say I have a normal day because I don't actually know what a normal day is anymore. Invariably, my laptop is my office, wherever that could be. I'm on the road. I'm in hotels. I'm sometimes in airports. I'm planning a podcast episode like this one. I'm designing a program. I could be sitting in someone's home office, my own home office, or somewhere else delivering work to clients. 
irrespective of time zones. So you've got to be honest with yourself. Are you willing to pay the price to do what you love to do? Because most people would say yes, if it's what they love to do. The next one is don't break rules. You more than likely have some contract in place or agreements in place, either verbal or written. And if you have, you've committed to something. So ensure you extricate yourself professionally and properly from those agreements whatever that might be. It might, be in, it might involve working out your tenure. In other words, ensuring that the contract is fulfilled before you move on and move out, or it could be something else. So I would wrap up in a way that helps people realize you're a professional guy and this relationship is one they want to keep. Irrespective of whether you leave, so what? People leave all the time. People go places, do things, change their minds, change careers. That's okay. But you want to do so in a way that you leave with a good taste in the mouth. People think of you in a positive manner after you've gone. And the last thing I would not do is don't jump off. Do the research and build your plan, which you're doing right now, so you can step off, not jump off. And thinking of your question today, I don't think you can really do this covertly. You really can't do this surreptitiously. You can't do this secretly. At some point, people are going to know. And I think it would be, it would come across sometimes as sneaky if people feel you've just made this decision without telling anyone. Most people don't make a decision like starting a job overnight. They have thought about this. They perhaps walked away. They've come back again. They've planned this. They've talk to people about this. So I would rather be honest at some point. It's up to you when you have this conversation, but I don't think you can really jump off covertly. Most people expect you to be honest and forward and say, look, I'm thinking of these things. I'm going down this path. I'd like to do this honorably, discharge my responsibilities in a way that we can keep the relationship after I've gone, because you might want to come back. And you'd be surprised how many people actually would want you back because you're a great person to be around. So nothing wrong with leaving, but don't jump off. It's better to step off. Now you say in your message to me, I'm doing preparation at the moment. You're building a prospect list, doing a business plan and organizing the structure, the identity and the offer. Great stuff. Keep going with that. And then you say, but I can't go much further and physically prospect without my employer finding out and me risking ruining a relationship with my employer and a potential client. So as I've just addressed that a moment ago, I don't agree with you. I think you can do lots of things without your employer finding out, but your employer is going to find out anyway, if you're going to do this properly. So ask yourself, does it really matter what my employer thinks? Can they stop you? Would they want to stop you? More than likely not. Why does your ambition to run your own business imply that you're going to ruin a relationship? I'm not sure I understand that point. Why does your ambition to run your own business imply that you're going to ruin a relationship? You say you risk ruining a relationship with your employer. So let's look at that for a moment. Unless I'm mistaken, the average employer tenure or average employee tenure these days is less than two years. You can read online and check up on that, but I think that's about right. The average person holds down a job, in my recent experience, between 18 months to 22 months. So between or average two years. And there is only one thing worse than growing people from an employer's perspective. There's only one thing worse than growing people and watching them leave. And it's people not growing and watching them stay. So would your employer want you to stay 
if they felt that you were in some way disconnected from the job that they're paying you to do. All of us at some point have got some yearning to be earning somewhere else, doing something else. And that's okay. That's perfectly normal these days. People move on all the time. No employer wants you to or believes that you will stay forever. And then you say, it's frustrating me because I feel like I have to either go all in with zero salary and large risk, or I can't do anything at all. So I've hit a barrier. Well, I'm not sure I agree with that either. I've, I've mentioned the importance of not breaking rules. I mentioned a couple of don'ts, about seven of them in total. So what I would do is I would find out if there are any rules preventing you from starting your own business in tandem with your current nine to five or nine to six or eight to six or eight to five employment contract and obligations. And if not, get going, start. Okay. So unless it's in place, there's very little that someone can do to say to you, don't do this, don't start a business, because people these days have portfolio lifestyles, portfolio incomes. I know plenty of people who've got a business between nine to five or even sometimes two part-time jobs during the daytime. And in the evening, they have something else completely different. I'm sure you know people like that too. You can read about them, perhaps you know them. So there's nothing wrong these days, it's quite normal in fact, to start something whilst working in a current position. It would be strange to go from a job on Monday morning to a new job on Tuesday morning. Something is a pathway in between. Some kind of transition has to take place. So there's nothing wrong with that. Be upfront, be open. When the time is right, announce it to the right people. But I think at some point you've got to have that open conversation where you feel good, you feel you've done nothing wrong, by being open and honest about your thoughts, your ambitions, and your plans. People will not be angry with you for that reason, if you're honest. But if there's nothing stopping you right now from starting something in tandem, in your own time, on your own time, on weekends or days off, doing your own thing to start your own thing, then get going. I would find out if there is anything or any impediment which could legally, contractually, morally prevent you from doing your own thing. And if there isn't, I would take action now. And I think in many respects, the, the current downturn need not be downtime. The current downturn need not be downtime. Many people I've spoken to in some ways are not, say, I wouldn't say energized, but they see this current handbrake on the world's activities as a chance to do some fresh thinking, take a fresh perspective or look at things and plan a fresh start. So if that's true for you, why not remove those doubts or worries or barriers or uncertainties where you have a conversation with people who fill in the gaps if you need some information, who perhaps belay any worries that you have, remove them by having that open, honest conversation, and maybe even help you on your way. I think if you've done a good job, and I'm sure you are doing a good job, and you've a tenure of 11 years in your current role, which, as you've told me, uh, it, well, it stands for something in my mind. If you're 11 years in a company, you've got some track record there, A, and I think that's something you can build on. And it's normal to want to move on. It's okay. So move on with confidence. And I'm going to come up now with a list of, I think, if I've counted these correctly, seven things which I think you can do or think I think you can have to help you get going, which is kind of the hub of today's episodes. The first thing is to have a plan. The next thing is to have a reserve. The third thing is to have a mentor or a coach or both. The next thing is to have a way back. 
The next thing is to have a new angle. Then number six is to have an income stream. And lastly, to have a team. So have a plan, have a reserve, have a mentor or coach or both, have a way back, have a new angle, have an income stream, have a team. So the first one is have a plan. And I've read and reread a very short book, but a very powerful book in the last couple of years. And it's by someone called Michael Gerber, if I've pronounced that correctly. And the book is called The E-Myth Revisited. It's been published and I think republished several times. It came out in the 70s. It's not a normal business book, and it tells a very clever story. And in that story, which is more of a parable than a story, it explains some of the principles of running your own business. And I would highly recommend that book. And if you've got time, and I'm sure you've got time on weekends or in your own time, to do some reading, that's one of the business books which I would recommend. It's, again, a short book, not a normal business book, but it does in some way influence your thinking about what it is to run a business rather than be in the business. And I think one of the phrases that Michael uses is the wisdom of knowing how to work on your business as opposed to work in your business. Many people fall into the trap of doing everything in their business. And that's something I've learned to do or, or to stop doing in recent years by hiring VAs or a team, which I'll come to in a moment. So that's the first thing, have a plan. And that plan is something that you might want to run past other people, enlist other people in helping you to craft. There are many mentors out there. Perhaps a local chamber of commerce has got some experienced people who are retired, would love nothing more to be involved in the project which starts something. And you'd be surprised how many people are actually out there looking for uh, people who want their advice, who want their expertise. It may cost money, it may not cost money, but I would certainly look around and develop that plan. You've got the time over the next couple of months to do so. Before you jump off, it's time to step off and do so with a plan. The next one is to have a reserve. And what I mean by that is to have funds to support you for at least, I would say, three months. Cash flow is king. I think we'd all agree that when a business runs out of cash, regardless of the assets, intellectual property, which you have or may not have, you cannot really survive. And I've screwed up a couple of times in that regard. I'm not the best person when it comes to running finances, but that's a sore lesson for me. Unless you actually have cash flow, whether it comes from face-to-face -face or online work, you're kind of in trouble. So arguably you could say, and you could get different pieces of advice on this, you might want at least three months income before you're actually willing to go off and burn cash reserves, which you don't have or can't afford to lose. And on that point, I would also think of having a conversation with those, your loved ones and your family who might say to you, you know what, um, if you have a wife or girlfriend or kids uh, or husband, um, they might say to you that, uh, you know, this is not the thing that we can afford to do right now. And interestingly, that's something that Pete Starr alluded to in episode two of the podcast, a very a searingly honest conversation with Pete. And that's something I would listen to if I were you, that that frank and honest dialogue, the conversation that he had to have with his wife because he had he was recently married, had a mortgage, had kids, and the kind of mental juggling he had to do to figure out, is it something he wanted to go down the path of, the risk of running a business, starting a business, perhaps in difficult times with all those kinds of financial and other obligations. Okay, the next one is to have a mentor, and that could be to have a coach. 
and there are plenty of coaches online and offline. You might find a mentor online. Again, many organizations, business organizations, even on LinkedIn, have people who have got expertise over the years and they kind of feel washed up. You'd be surprised how many people out there are frustrated by the fact that they've no job or any exciting project which captures their imagination. You'd be amazed how many people, A, would like to help you if you reach out to them. You might want to think about that. Who is the right person to help you? But there are people, I know this for a fact, who would love to be involved in something. It may be for some kind of financial reward. It could just be for some kind of emotional reward because they see someone doing something and they feel part of it. So find a mentor, find a coach or both. And something that someone said to me a couple of episodes ago was the wisdom of creating an advisory board. And I think that's a brilliant idea. The idea is that you don't just do something on your own with your own team, your own employees. Think of people like a mentor or a coach, several people whom you can go to. It could be a face-to-face conversation. It could be a phone conversation. It could be a conversation via Zoom. But you might find that you want to enlist someone who is a coach. You might want to enlist someone who is an expert in sales, enlist someone who is an expert in marketing. So when you have a bunch of people with different strengths, different experience, that group of people makes up an advisory board. They may never meet together or they could meet virtually online. And some people do that. They bring them together once a month uh, on, on Zoom or some other platform like that, and they can see each other electronically. But many companies, I'm thinking of one I read about uh, a couple of, like two years ago, called Own the Room, a very successful presentation skills training company in the States run by a guy called Bill Hoogterp and his wife. And they have a huge number of advisors or, or advisors, people on an executive board or, or non-executive board and both who help steer the ship and bring their particular skill set to bear on the success of the company. It might sound like something that's perhaps not immediate as a requirement, but it's something I would think about is canvassing the opinion of people with different strengths in different areas. And you'd be surprised how that could positively influence your mindset and your plan. Okay, so that's number three, have a mentor, have a coach, have an advisory board. The next one is to have a way back. Now, I left corporate. I left the, the a job. I began my own training business. I then went back into the corporate world to begin as a learning and development manager for a company with offices in Dublin and Cape Town. I then went back to working for myself again. And then I went to work for a company in Jamaica. I worked for a company with offices over there. And in fact, that training took me to several parts of the world where that company had and still has offices. The point is this, you have control of your life, your direction, more or less, more or less. So what that means is that there's nothing wrong with changing your mind. There's nothing wrong with coming back again. There's nothing wrong with doing things again. So if you feel that you want to try this for a while, then try it for a while. You can always come back. If you like what you do today, you can do it again tomorrow. If you don't make a decision to do something today, you'll never know what it's like. There's always a way back and people all the time rejoin businesses and sometimes having been outside of the ship for a while, they learn skills they wouldn't actually learn in the ship, thinking of a business as a ship. And then when they come back into the workforce, they're actually further on and further up in terms of their skills and their knowledge and their experience. And therefore, they're more valuable to a corporation. I think the danger is that if people stay in the same business and never get outside that business or start their own business, they tend to stagnate. So the question is, 
Is that true for you, A? The next one I would look at is have a new angle. There's no point joining the training business world by doing the same thing as everyone else. Okay, that the market is full of people doing the same thing as everyone else. There are lots of what we call also rands, people who are running a leadership business or a sales training business or an IT training business or a legal skills training business, but they're just like everyone else. The same kind of material, the same kind of branding. And the trouble is it's very hard to distinguish yourself from other businesses. So I think that if you are going to do this, and I have a feeling that you are going to do this, I think you need a fresh angle, whatever angle that is. And if you think of it, the word entrepreneur, a French word, has two parts to it. Entre, E-N-T-R-E, which is the French word between, and preneur, which is the French word for taker. taker. So a taker between opportunities. Someone who sees a gap, makes a decision, and takes action. Preneur, take, entre, between. So you take action. You see a gap in the market between existing players, existing providers, and you take action in that gap. So unless you're going to do something differently in a different way with a different approach, a new approach, a fresh approach, a fresh perspective, I would think about not doing or jumping into this training business until you have one. You've got to stand out immediately. You've got to figure out a way to be different so that you can actually use that as, as a leverage or conversation point. Just starting off doing the same thing as everyone else puts you in the same lane as everyone else. I think that's a danger. The next one today, number six, is have an income stream. And what that means is that if it's not just a hobby or an interest, it's a business, you've got to have some kind of contracts lined up. I think you've got to have something signed lined up. You've got to have some kind of agreements or if they're verbal or written, some something which says to you that you have work coming in in month one, month two, month three, month four. The last thing you want to do is to switch off the tap, leave your current role and have that income stream dried up. And I've done that before. And believe you me, it does not work. We get very optimistic very easily about things working out. And all of a sudden, along comes something like the current COVID pandemic. No one saw this coming. Well, maybe a few people did, but I don't think anyone saw the scale of this. So there are things you cannot know. There are known unknowns and definitely unknown unknowns. So to give you that dependency or that independence, I should say independency or independence, you need some kind of income stream which tells you that I'm going to step off, not jump off, into paid work and it's lined up and ready to go. It's something which you could do in tandem with your current role. Again, thinking of the conversation I advise you to have, which is to have that honest conversation which removes any doubt that's, that, that there are things or agreements which prevent you from doing something now so you can build it uh, when you need to and step off into that completely full time. But having an income stream means you've got some kind of deposits or contracts or, de- or income coming in right now, which confirms that this is viable. You've got clients who are going to keep paying you money for the foreseeable future. You're going to lose clients. I did. I do. And that's okay. But to have some clients lined up is absolutely essential. You could find that starting some kind of course online on Udemy or something on teachable.com gets that income stream coming in and confirms that there is an interest out there 
for your product. Something else you might want to do is to think about selling an e-product or some kind of product online, like a, an e-book on Amazon or other book depository sources, and see if that generates interest. Um, I can think of plenty of people who began small and then scaled up. So I wouldn't jump off completely. I would find you need to absolutely ensure there are some kinds of income streams coming in in some small way, which in and of themselves confirm that what you're thinking of doing is actually going to give you monetary uh, income. It's going to give you an income stream over the next couple of months for the foreseeable future. The last one is to have a team. Why do I say that? I think you've got to have a team because one of the mistakes I've made several times is trying to be the master all of all trades or the jack of all trades and the master of none. So I have a podcast. I don't audit the podcast or edit the podcast. I have a guy who does this for me and the guy's name is Sam and that's his expertise. So I don't do that. I don't waste my time doing something which someone could do faster than me and better than me. So there are things which I call interest generating activities, which are best left to someone else. Nothing wrong with you learning how to do them, but then handing those things over to people who can do those things for you and leaving you to focus on the things which you can actually bill for. In other words, the difference between interest generating activities, things like marketing and sales, and things which are income generating activities, things which you can actually charge people for. It could be coaching, it could be training, it could be product design, course design, etc. So what are those things? And initially, you will inevitably be doing most of the things in your business yourself. That's okay. You've got to learn how the business works. The last thing you want is to have a skill set which is essential to your business that you've no idea about, and therefore people are running circles around you. So I can think of things like my podcast. I can think of things like graphics work, uh, which a guy called James does right now for me. So things like any of the lead magnets I have for my podcast, or in the case of my training business, InsideSalesCoach.com, I have a podcast there as well. And I also have lead magnets. And the website design is done by a guy called Frank. So again, I have in the past wasted so much time trying to do things like auditing or editing my podcast myself, waste of time, or designing graphics on Canva.com or Photoshop.com, waste of time or doing some kind of WordPress development, or downloading and customizing WordPress themes from themeforest.com, waste of time. There are things which I cannot charge for. In fact, doing those things I mentioned costs me time, but things which actually earn you money, those are things in which you need to invest time. So knowing the difference between those two. So one of the things you can do almost immediately is to start figuring out the kinds of things that you would like to enlist people to help you with. It could be small things, sometimes creating standard operating procedures for your business. So each week we do these things. I write this article on LinkedIn. Uh, on a Tuesday, I make these calls. These are the lists of companies I need to get decision maker names from. And there are people on peopleperhour.com, toptal, T-O-P-T-A-L.com, fiverr.com, loads of websites out there. Guru, another one. I think they're still active, but there are lots of websites out there where you will find people who, A, are more efficient than you in particular skills and more effective. They can do it better than you in particular areas. So what are those things? And investing money and time in getting those people onto your team. And I use a website or a software called Slack. And that's brilliant because I can, in one place, communicate with 
um, Alicia, who will do stuff for me in terms of writing, or Frank, who does stuff for web design, or Sam, who does stuff for the podcast, or James, who does stuff which is graphics related. So all of that, they're not employees, but they are contractors and they help me and they form a team. Without that team, I could not do what I do and, and have my peace of mind. So I need free time. I'm sure you do too. The last thing you want to do is to step off into or jump off your current role. And all of a sudden you're snowed under with all these obligations and tasks, burning the midnight oil, getting frustrated because you can't design a website, you can't market, you can't do these things. I'm not saying you can't learn to do these things, but having the wisdom to re- to let go of the things you don't need to know and focusing on the things that you need to grow, those are the things that will make all the difference, okay? So knowing what you need to know, knowing the things and doing the things you need to grow and knowing the thing, knowing the things you need to let go, that will make all the difference. So my final thoughts today are this. A, and I, I'm really tempted to use your name, but I won't because you've asked me not to. You will never have all your ducks lined up. No one does. You can listen to any story from people like Bill Gates or Sergey Brin and the other co-founder of Google, whom I can't think of, or Larry Ellison, Oracle, or the founder of Salesforce, or any of the big companies out there. They all have made mistakes. Many of them have begun businesses in a deep recession or a crisis, in a downturn, just like this one at the time of recording on Monday, the 30th of March, 2020. No one knows what the next couple of months or weeks entail, where this is going, how it's going to develop. That's no excuse for you to sit on your Todd. I'm not saying you are, but many people right now are in a kind of a state of shock. Lots of people are waiting for a perfect time to launch a business. There never will be one. There is no perfect time. There never was. There never will be for this or any endeavor now or in the future. And speaking of perfect, you're going to make mistakes. If you're not making mistakes, you're not trying hard enough. Success lies on the other side of failure, and I failed in a number of ways, some pretty big ways, many, many times. You will too, but you'll be better for your failures. Some people will support your ideas, and others will think you're mad. Some people will be for you, other people will be against it. But that doesn't matter. What matters is that you can live with your decision. And I think you actually know what you want to do, but I'm not going to give you permission to do it, A, because permission does not come from me It's got to come from you. It's got to come from you. The best time, last thought today, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is now. So start planning, start planting, and get going. My sincere thanks to you for tuning in again this week. Thanks for all your support. I'd love you to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts because this helps us to promote the show, to attract listeners, and of course to attract the right guests, the kinds of people who want to be on the show, and the kinds of people who can help you on your training business journey. You can check out the podcast, as always, on Apple Podcasts, which is where you could be listening to it today, or on Stitcher or Spotify or SoundCloud or or Google Podcasts. There are many such platforms out there. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook and Instagram. So check us out and join the conversation. I've got to admit, I'm not the most uh, prolific on, um, 
on social media right now. So one of the people I'm working with currently isn't well, but that's something we'll, we'll fix in, in due course. And of course, the website is another thing to be addressed. And I, I tell you that, that the website is a long, long time overdue. So thanks for your patience. The most important thing to me, though, is that you get value from the podcast. So please reach out to me, mark at trainingbusiness.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Any questions you have or suggestions you have for the show, I'd love to hear them, of course. My best wishes to you and your families. So until next Thursday, keep on selling, keep on training, and keep safe. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.